one of the most surprising things about being an entrepreneur is that everybody only ever talks about the good stuff. They only talk about you're your own boss. You're not your own boss. No entrepreneur is really their own boss. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor. For this week's bite-sized mentorship, we'll hear from fellow podcaster and good friend of JBM, Armadeep Palmer, the co-founder of the Bay HQ. The Bay HQ inspires, connects, and guides British Asian entrepreneurs through their podcast, in-person events, practical guides, and more. I had the pleasure of joining Armadeep on his podcast not too long ago, and knew from our very first conversation that we had to get him on, 40 Minute Mentor, to share his journey and fantastic mentorship with you all. So without further ado, over to Armadeep. Hi everyone, I'm Mama, and I'm really excited to share my journey with you so far and help you guys to learn from the lessons that I made the hard way. So I'll give you a bit of background into how I got started and where I've got to today because it doesn't really make any sense when you look at it from the outside. So starting off, I was very traditional, went into school, went to university, went into economics, went to the Bank of England for a year and then off the back of that, it was trying to decide what I was going to do in my career. And I wasn't quite sure. I ended up in tech consulting and I did that for about seven years. Then life took a few different turns. I found myself writing online and within a year and a half, I then quit my job for that. So just blogging online, did a lot better than I thought it was going to do. So by June 2021, I was now a full-time content creator online, something I never thought I'd ever be, never had any ambition to do. And off the back of that, then I started working a lot with startups and scale-ups behind the scene and worked with some of the biggest names in the world, but I can't name them for NDA reasons. And also from there, I started podcasting as well. So I'm now 220 episodes in across podcasts. And a lot of that was to do initially with my personal brand and then also with Entrepreneur's Handbook. And Entrepreneur's Handbook is the startup publication on Medium, if you're familiar with that. And that enabled me to get access to some of the biggest names in entrepreneurship. Then last year, I made another pivot October 16th is when the Bay HQ was founded and Bay stands for British Asian Entrepreneur. I was very proud of that little pun. And the Bay HQ is all about connecting, guiding, inspiring the next generation of British Asians. Because a lot of my work beforehand was with people in Silicon Valley and I could just see how they worked together and they were helping each other out. And I felt like in the UK, a lot of people from my community weren't doing that enough, despite the people who had done very well. So I went to align everybody together and raise up everybody together so everybody could win at once. I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs. I've listened to many episodes like this. And what I found is that people have in their heads that you sometimes you need to be have a lemonade stand when you're five years old. And that's how you become an entrepreneur. And that's just not the case at all. There's some of the people I interviewed, they did have that. Some people literally had an, a lemonade stand. And then others are more accidental. And I'd call myself an accidental entrepreneur. This was never a plan. When I was growing up, my actual life ambition when I was, say, in university, the plan was go into banking, go into consulting, make a ton of money, retire at 30, and then become a teacher. That was my little ambition. And at that point, I expected, what was my, I think it was, I wanted to be a multimillionaire by the time I was 25 or something like that. So it was very delusional. But for me, that was all based around the trading aspect, the investing aspect, because that was my background of economics. And I never thought I'd ever be doing something I'm doing today. And sometimes I think it's very easy for people to overplan their path and that paralysis, rather than just do it, just have a go. Like 
my writing started because I would just decided one day, new resolution, new year, new me, and let's have it go. And that triggered the transition from what I'm doing today. And I'm going into more detail about that in a moment. But me being an entrepreneur is still kind of a case of where it's a weird transition. And if you're listening now and you're in a professional job, you might not consider yourself in that term. But all it's really doing is making a few different shifts. And what happens sometimes is people consider them such different worlds where one of the biggest changes, to be honest, is they have so much more pressure as an entrepreneur. And one of the things I sometimes fantasize about is like, it would be really nice to have a nine to five where I get paid and I don't need to make decisions. If something goes wrong, there's somebody above me who can escalate it to. And that's something I think maybe many entrepreneurs don't really admit because if you think about it, it's a huge life decision what I did, right? So I was in consulting for about seven years, had the prestige of that, like the average person, if you say you're a consultant, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like you're doing well. They kind of gauge you and put you in a bucket in terms of like how wealthy you are as well, which is a big part of it. When I quit my job to become a writer, obviously a lot of people are like, oh, okay, cool. So you're a starving artist. Great. Well done. So when you're an entrepreneur, it's very much a difficult thing for people to understand how to place you. And it really challenges your identity. And that was a huge challenge for me in that first few months. And one of the most surprising things about being an entrepreneur is that everybody only ever talks about the good stuff. They only talk about you're your own boss. You're not your own boss. No entrepreneur is really their own boss. You've got stakeholders. If you're a creator, you've got an audience, you've got to please your audience. If you've got clients, you've got to please your clients. If you've got employees, you've got to please your employees. And I think that was a big transition for me because when you are in a job, you always, I think, people demonize their bosses or demonize the management. And when you're on the other side, you just realize how tough it is to juggle all of these things because you're trying to protect your employees as well. So I think I've got such a greater appreciation for how good my previous employees were in what they did. So I'll give them a shout out. It was Box Fusion that I used to work for. And when I went to quit my job, they encouraged me to do it. They said, look, like this is something which if you don't do, you're going to regret. And we know you can do it. We know you can be successful. And to have that from the people I'd worked for for that long to give me that push and that green light was really meaningful for me. And I guess the interesting thing too is, like I said, it was all a complete fluke. This wasn't intentional. I didn't think I'm going to start writing online and I'm going to become rich and I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to speak with these people I've spoken to. It was, I was reading a lot online and I was like, oh, like I want to process my thoughts. And it was more about my own processing internally. That's why I started writing. And medium.com was just where I read. It was quite easy to set up. It's still quite easy to set up on. Rather than having to build your own WordPress blog or anything like that, you can just get started straight away. And what's good about Medium too is that it gives you an audience because if your pieces are good, they'll get picked up by a publication, they'll get picked up by the Medium curation team. The rules have changed a bit now from when I started, but it's much better than a standing start because if you create your own blog, you've got to drive your own traffic there. And you've also probably got to tell your friends to go and read it. You've got to share it a lot. And I didn't really want to do that, to be honest. I didn't want people to know I was writing. And I didn't even tell anybody really about it until nine months later. And nine months later, it was already when it had millions of views and it had like tens of thousands of followers. But it was mainly American-based and obviously I'm based in the UK. And I, there's no way I can describe how big of an impact that one decision to New Year's resolution, I'll start writing online, has had in my life. Because if I hadn't done that, I would probably still be in consulting. I enjoy some projects, not enjoy others but I'd have never had the guts or the belief to do what the things I'm doing now are. And it all came from just having that start. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about, I want to do something someday, I want to become an entrepreneur, 
just start, just test it out. It might fail. Most people fail, right? That's normal. People forget your failures. Do you know how many things I've launched and I never talk about anymore? And if it comes up in conversation, I won't deny it, but it's just not relevant to what I'm doing today. There's so many mini failures I've had along the way and nobody remembers them. There is nobody following me around with like, oh, you did that thing and and only 10 people came. Oh, you did that. And it doesn't matter. So that's a huge thing about writing is it gives you an audience. And at the beginning, I would never be confident enough to do this right now, right? I'm sitting in front of a camera talking like this. I'm sweating away a little bit, but it's mainly because it's hot. It's not because I'm nervous. But to do this is a different level of skill. Whereas to do writing, you don't have your face there. You're not under pressure. You don't have a camera on you. I think for most people, it's easier. And what I'd advise most people to do, if you're going to try and start a writing or thought leadership, start with LinkedIn or start with Twitter first, just because it's, or X now, sorry, because it's way less pressure. Blogging is a skill. It's funny how many people think they're really good writers and they're just not. So just start slowly, be humble, learn, iterate. If you can get into publications and medium, for example, you can sometimes get feedback and that will help you a lot. So it's ability, when it comes down to it, what's the commonality? It's with the writing and the podcasting, everything is storytelling. That's the underlying skill. And that's a skill that's so important. And I know James talks about this a lot as well. So a common thread for everything is storytelling. And it's an, a skill that I didn't necessarily train in the beginning. I had a flair for it from the things I'd done before in my life. And now what I'm trying to do is use that storytelling skills that I've learned to highlight other people. And this is the big reason behind the Bay HQ. So what a lot of my content was beforehand was Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, right? It was people who were massively successful. So to come onto Entrepreneurs Handbook podcast, it's a $100 million minimum valuation, right? Those people don't grow on trees. They often don't have very massively diverse backgrounds. And what I wanted to do is do something more for my community. And it started off, as many great stories do, it was in a Malaysian restaurant with my future co-founder, where we were just sitting there having a rant. And I'd say never underestimate the power of a rant if you're going to do something about it. So everybody complains that complaining is cheap. Can you do something about it? Isn't your power to do something about it? And a lot of the times it actually is. But we like to put the pressure on somebody else. Oh, somebody else should do this. Oh, somebody should do something else. Like you are somebody. Everybody listening right now has got skills. They've if they're clearly you care about self-development and personal growth if you're listening to this. So you can make a change. Think about what you complain about. What do you rant about? What can you do about it? And that's what we did with the Bay HQ. We were complaining that a lot of people from our community don't help each other out. So we did something about it. And it started off as it was just gonna be a side project. And that was this would have been June last year. And what happened there is essentially my dad passed away in, the, in August last year, which as anybody who's been through loss will understand, it triggers a massive existential crisis. What's the point of any of this, right? Yes, I've talked to these cool people. Yes, I've talked to Netflix founder, Twitter founder. So what? None of that actually matters. It's am I actually making a difference? Am I actually helping anybody? Or am I just collecting these little trophies to make myself look cool? And I can be completely transparent about this. Part of it was before I was collecting these trophies. I was collecting these different things that gave myself value, which didn't really matter. And you see a lot in entrepreneurship because many entrepreneurs are driven by insecurity. And if you can get over that and be driven by mission instead about actually making a change, that's a common thing I see about the people who really scale, really make a difference. 
And that's what the transition was for me in the last year, when now it's about how can I use the brand that built up? How can I use the community I've done, the skills I've done to actually make a difference in this my target audience, right? And once I made the decision to really go full time on it, it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. But at the same time, it's, I think what I have in my life is a, a series of constant delusion. Even today, I am deluded. I believe that things are going to happen this time next month that aren't going to happen. But that deluded optimism is what keeps me going. But you can't have the deluded optimism if you don't also have the resilience to when that deluded optimism mainly fails to be like, okay, cool, I'm going to pivot here. And that's the reality of being in any business is most of your plans are going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong. You're going to talk to your customers and realize, actually, the thing that I thought was the magic thing isn't the magic thing. And it's this other thing they like us for instead. And that is what I think I've been able to do very well with the Bay HQ is constantly pivot. Okay, a lot of people seem to want us to do this. A lot of people are asking us, oh, when are you going to do this? So there's demand for that. Let's get that. Let's try it out. Maybe it doesn't quite work. Maybe we don't have the resources, but let's experiment. And the biggest challenge has been is because we're a not-for-profit, is scaling everything, right? Because you think, and there's a naivety here, you hear so much from different large organizations about how much they care about diversity and how much they care about different things. In reality, like I won't name any companies, but you talk to these companies who are like, oh yeah, we really love to support you. But then what does that support actually mean? A lot of the time it's they want me to make introductions to people to them for free it's like that's not really supporting me like i i could do that like anyway right so that's the interesting thing is navigating that corporate landscape because i got very used to always working with founders and entrepreneurs and many people at corporates they do have their heart in the right place it's just a different structure and different bureaucracy and navigating that has been quite a challenge and it's a chicken and egg problem for the bhq because we need the funding to be able to hire people to scale things out so it's less pressure on me. But we also need to scale things out to be able to close the deals to get the sponsorship. So it's which one comes first is a bit of a challenge there. And a lot of it so far has been based on sheer willpower, right? So right now the team is me, my co-founder, who's also got a day job. We've got a video editor who's like half-time. We've got a full-time assistant. But there's a million other things I would do if I had the, the time for. And this is the constant challenge of the battling of priorities. And it's funny the way I talk about it sometimes because this didn't even exist a year ago. And in the last year, I talked to many of the people that I never thought I'd ever be able to talk to. And now I have them on WhatsApp and we chat every day. And it's that being able to integrate into this bubble has just been incredible. But it's now like a big chat, like the now it's always focusing on the future of like, Again, it's no point having these cool names and like, oh, I know that person, I know that person. That's useless, that's whatever. It's, am I connecting them? Am I actually helping them? And that's a difference. So say, for example, James has been on the Bay HQ, then I connected a bunch of people I thought were cool, that would be good for him too. And they've now come on the podcast. So now I've been able to help two different people that I know and it's everybody wins. And I think the more people think in that way, like how do we make it so everybody wins? That's the real goal here. And that's why I'm most proud of what we've done in the Bay HQ is we've got that mentality of everybody rises together. And then we've got partnerships with, well, we've been working with Barclays, with HCBC. And again, it's it's weird to think back on it, but at the same time, there's that hunger of nothing we've done so far. To me, this isn't even 1% yet, right? This is, I'm looking at this a 30-year horizon, 40-year horizon. 
And to me, we've barely even got started yet. And I think a lot of the secrets to success for the Bay HQ and how we've been able to grow so rapidly, it just comes down to the simple basics of treating people like people, because so many people don't do that. And one thing that I like to tell people is that if you can figure out what you think is common sense, but a lot of people don't actually do that, that's your secret source there, right? So what do you think is like obvious? Why isn't other people doing this? Why doesn't everybody do this? And for me, it's just a case of like, just being nice. It's not really that hard. It doesn't cost me any difference to talk to somebody in one tone of voice or another tone of voice. And it's not doing it for any outcome. To me, that's just an obvious thing. Like you be kind to people because being kind is a good thing to do. But by doing that, people aren't necessarily used to that. And the other element of treating people like people too, is that a lot of people are put on a pedestal in this world. And every single person that I've interviewed, whether they're a billionaire, whether they've got 10 million followers, 20 million followers, they all eat, they all sleep, and they all, if I put it mildly, go to the toilet, right? Like they all poop basically, right? So it doesn't matter how successful you are, you're human. The founder of Netflix, he regrets working too hard when he was young because he wished he spent more time with his kids. The founder of Twitter regrets being so obsessed with what he did because then now he's got so many health problems and this challenge because everybody's like, oh, but they're just saying that now because they're rich. So we're constantly repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And if you can treat these people like as fallible human beings who have a lot of skill, yes, but they've also got luck, they've got other factors involved, then you can actually create a human connection with them. Whereas I go to networking events and here's a couple of tips for people is I'm talking to say like somebody I've interviewed for the podcast. So that person is generally way more prestigious or important or whatever how, into the average person than I am. So I'll be talking to them. I'm standing here. They're standing there. Then somebody will literally come in the middle of our conversation, just stand in front of me. And what's now happened is that me and the person I'm talking to have both noticed that, both seen how rude it is, had it all chuckle to ourselves. And they've just killed off any relationship building they've done there because they've been so obsessed with getting in for the jugular. Instead of just joining the conversation in a natural way, I now think, oh, if they treat me like that or treat that person like that, they're going to treat anybody else that make an introduction to like that. I don't want to necessarily help that person. And what sometimes happens is that they talk to the, the person I was interviewing or a person I've interviewed before, and then they realize who I am and then they want something from me. I said, well, you literally just cut me out of the conversation. And that social intelligence, to me, is common sense. Don't cut people out of a conversation. But it's not common sense for many people. And the other aspect to it in networking events is if you're ever having a conversation with somebody and you can see somebody loitering around you who wants to join that conversation, open up the circle. Let that person in. When I notice people doing that, they go up so much in my head of like how much I respect them because they've got that social intelligence to be able to include other people. And that's the kind of people I admire more than the person that often does get admired with the alpha traits. Is that like, can you actually make people feel welcome and bring them in? And when it comes to the general community building, it's always a challenge because I'm now reaching this point of, I reply to 100 people a day on WhatsApp. That is not sustainable. I cannot do that every day for the rest of my life. And I need to work out now, as we interview more people, as I meet more and more people, how do I navigate that? So for any community building, you're going to have zero to one and then one to 100. So the zero to one is what I've just done, where it's very, very intensely personal based. 
a lot of time with me. I'm me going to events, me being everywhere, me talking to everybody, me replying to everybody directly. And that personal connection, that's what's going to build that trust. And there's no shortcut to that. A lot of people want to build a community, but then won't put the time in or won't put the personal touch in. There is no reason for anybody to connect to you if you haven't done that. The challenge is, once you reach to a certain point, you can't scale that. You can't be everywhere all at once. And then it becomes about how do you build a team of people around you who you really trust, who can have that same ethos as you to scale it further. And where a lot of people fail is in terms of building a community is they make it a cult of personality. And once you start doing that, you can't scale. You're stuck, you're trapped. And I can even see it myself as I'm talking to more and more people. It's very difficult for me to give people the same level of respect and attention that they deserve. If I'm replying to, on my tube journey in the morning, if I'm replying to 50 people, how much time and energy am I spending on each of those messages? Very little. I'm just trying to get through the messages as quickly as possible. And it's much easier for me to make, say something a bit insensitive or say something a bit that doesn't quite make sense. And I damage that relationship. So as you grow a community, it's about how do you set the boundaries? And one thing I'm doing, for example, now, all right, I started yesterday, is I do community ask me anything. So instead of me jumping on coffees of everybody or calls of everybody, it's like, here's a public forum. If you want to ask me a question, you can do it here. I'll answer it to the best of my ability. And that's something that scales. So it's looking at that multi-approach. Like multi so start off, really intense personal time. And then it's for your own personal time as the founder, as the beginning person of there, is looking at more to one-to-many relationships. How do you ha like help multiple people at once? But then you have the other people in the team who can maybe build those relationships more on a personal level. And that's the transition now that I'm going through. And to really scale this, it needs to have that team. And that's the most important thing because you can't, no matter how deluded you are, and I am deluded, I know that this cannot be based on me. In five years time, I want it to be the way people barely even know that I created the Bay HQ because there's so many people involved that it's just an organization. Do you know who created Cancer Research? Do you know who created all of these large communities? No, you don't need to know. It's not supposed to be about me, but from zero to one, it does need to have that personal brand to really kick it off. And looking at that as well, so one of the favorite things I do with the Bay HQ is really spotlighting some of the people from the community who people have never heard of. And it's a challenge because if you, the easiest way to grow is to get people who are famous already, right? You get people who are famous already, people are like, oh, you've interviewed that person. Oh, great. Like, but you're telling a story that's already been told. So those people are helping because yes, they bring an audience in, but is it really achieving the mission of spotlighting people whose stories are unheard? And one of my favorite examples of this, and she's been on 40 Minute Mentor as well, is Dimple Patel. So I was the first podcast she'd done. She was nervous about it. And now like when she came onto 40 Minute Mentor, she was a, a pro. She was just spitting things out and like all these sound bites. And that to me is what I really love when you can get somebody who's never really done this before, never really told their story and shine the light on it. So she's already been on the podcast, so I won't, you can go and check out her episode on 40 Minute Mentor or the Bay HQ and learn more about her. But some of the other people I can spotlight, there's just so many incredible people. Some of the people, for example, to shout out is, there's a few of them who've had dyslexia. So there's Jackson Aran, there's Rish Chowdhury, there's Leah Chowdhury. And it's people like that who have this challenge that it's, when they were younger, they basically thought they were dumb. People around them would tell them that they were dumb. And for them to have now got through that, worked out, okay, there's like a medical condition here and then been able to change that and look at what their strengths are and to build upon that and to build 
a success story in whatever you consider success is. To me, that's really inspiring. And there's so many examples of people who've come from essentially rags to riches or from backgrounds where you wouldn't think they'd be able to do what they've been able to do. Another one, for example, is Asesh Sarkar. Asesh Sarkar went to inner city Leicester. He's now running a company that's worth several hundred million. And you've never heard of him because he barely comes on podcasts. He doesn't do the kind of press thing. But for him to do that is incredible, right? Like it just came from nothing. And he's now built this company. And what they do is called salary finance is they enable people to get loans from their company, from their salary, which a lot of people who maybe wouldn't be able to get loans otherwise are able to then get access to finance and credit, which for people who've come from a certain level of privilege, you don't appreciate how critical that is to people who don't have that privilege, who aren't from those backgrounds. And they can make pay their mortgage or pay their rent or have food in their bellies because of what his company is doing. So something like that to me is really inspiring. And he doesn't crave any of the spotlight. He doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Another one that's been recent as well is Nav Sawney. So Nav Sawney, again, he worked at Dyson making vacuum cleaners. He decided that he didn't want to spend his life making vacuum cleaners, despite how it was a very, I think, from a technical perspective, very interesting problem. But what he's now transitioned to is creating washing machines, manual washing machines that people use by people in rural villages and refugee camps all over the world. And it gives people the dignity of clean clothes. And again, it's some, most of the listeners here, to listen to this, you've probably got a phone, you've probably got all these different privileges that we forget so many people in this world don't have. So a huge amount of people in the world, I think it's 70%, don't have access to reliable electricity. So how do you wash your clothes? It's manually pumping it. Like it's often the women have to do it for hours a day. So what this invention does, it saves those women hours in their day which enables them to go back to school, it enables them to go back to work, it enables them to have healthier bodies because they're not doing this backbreaking work. So he's making a huge impact and he's just scaling further and further. And there's just so many people like that that I want to spotlight. And there's so many more people to spotlight too. People wonder if I'm going to run out of guests. And I've already got several hundred people on my list to interview. So even by the time I get through those hundred people, there'll be more people who've come up in the last couple of years. So I really want to spotlight them. I also want to say, so James has also been on the podcast. I want to say a massive shout out to him. He's doing incredible work here with JBM and with 40 Minute Mentor. And I always say to people, when you listen to these episodes, you might relate to me, you might not relate to me, you might relate to the next guest, but there's always somebody like you who's been able to go ahead and do what you want to do. So never feel like you're alone or nobody like me has ever done this. Often they have, you just might not have heard of them. So always think like there's no barriers, like, who is Asesh Sarkar from the middle of nowhere in Leicester where he didn't have any entrepreneurial background, anything like that, he's now changed the world with what his company has done. Same with Nav Sawney, same with Dimple Patel. These people have made a huge impact and they don't have the background to justify that. They don't have the background like, oh yeah, it's obvious they were going to do that. No, it wasn't, but they've been able to do it anyway. So if you're listening and you think, oh, but that's what other people do, other people are just like you. That's all from us today, but do make sure you check out the links in the show notes for more on today's 40-Minute Mentor. And if you have any recommendations for future guests, then why don't you drop our Head of Marketing and 40-Minute Mentor producer, Hannah, a line on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. Thank you so much for your ongoing support, and I look forward to seeing you again next week for more pocket-sized mentorship.